When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Solskjaer has won the European Cup for Manchester United. It's absolutely astonishing. The double is definitely Manchester United's. Too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Oh! Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. For the first time in nearly a decade, Manchester United score six goals in a single match, demolishing a weak Tranmere Rovers side and in doing so, bouncing back from a humiliating defeat to Burnley at home in midweek. We discuss both of those games and more on Series 5, Episode 24 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. As always, we'll have our youth loan and women's roundup in the middle of the show, but let's begin by talking about a, a 6 0 win in the FA Cup. It's been nine years since we've scored that many in a game, going back to the 8 2 win against Arsenal in August 2011. Um, a, a massively satisfying win and a demonstration that this squad, even if it's been a rocky few weeks, and we will move on to Burnley in, in a few minutes, but it's a demonstration that this squad is still very much playing for their manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yep, for all the criticism that. Solskjaer might have had and for all the debate that there's been among the fan base about whether he's the right man to take United forward it clearly hasn't got to a point where the players are starting to turn on him which usually is the last straw for any manager if the players start not not playing for them it was a relatively shaky start actually against against Tranmere but the first goal really settled on nerves and after that it was some good finishing and, and a decent performance I mean it's one of those games that's sort of a lose-lose as, as a manager and as a team because you lose the game and you never hear the end of it, but you win it 6-0 and it's only Tranmere. It doesn't really do too much to move the needle. But I think for this United team, 
just the, the the moral boost and the sort of psychological boost of scoring six goals, regardless of the opponent, is is quite a big deal. Yeah, and it's also something that that hasn't been done for a while. It's something that you would never expect to be done when Van Gaal or Mourinho was or Moyes was manager. And this is the thing with Solskjaer is that for for all the weaknesses, clearly in in certain aspects of his management, for all the weaknesses in this United side, there is a sense that with this team in contrast to the the Mourinho and Van Gaal teams, that there is the potential for a great win, whether it be against Man City away at the Etihad, at Spurs home, um, or in, uh, at Arsenal, at Spurs away, etc., etc., or a big win like this, where we, we put four past Norwich, four past Newcastle, six against Tranmere. And, and this is possible with this United team. And, and as always, it's the inconsistency. And in, in you score six against Tranmere on Sunday, but four or five days before that, you you put in a terrible performance against Burnley and lose 2-0 at home. So that is the problem. But it is important for... It's not always been the case with underperforming managers at United that they've had, the, that they've managed to pull the right attitude out of United's players. And to be fair to them, United's attitude was exemplary in this game it's that they blew Tranmere away in, in a matter of minutes controlled the game as soon as Harry Maguire put the opening goal in and there wasn't much sitting back either uh, Mason Greenwood hit the sixth from the penalty spot in the at the start of the second half and United didn't find another but it wasn't as if they were sitting back and just playing the game out so keeping the support of the dressing room is it's not an amazing achievement but it's an important one um, for Solskjaer and the, 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 probably the player that stood out most Interestingly, was was Captain Harry Maguire, and and again, any any lesson learnt from this game comes with a, a massive caveat about the fact we we're playing Tranmere. But Maguire put in a, a captain's performance at Prenton Park, and and was really really impressive. Kind of, he was controlling the game like he was a midfielder. It was a much needed performance. He's coming for a lot of criticism recently, and his performances definitely have dropped off a level from what he was performing like in the first few months that he arrived at United. But I think he, at least at the moment, is the right man for the United captaincy. There's no one else you'd say is a leader like Maguire on, on the pitch and no one else who you'd say is guaranteed of their spot every week as much as Maguire is. And so I think he's the right choice for United captain. And he, he put in a captain's performance, as you said. He, he controlled the game. He ended up playing pretty much as, as a defensive midfielder, honestly. And, and so did Victor Lindelof. I mean, how many times do you see a goal not from a set piece that was assisted and scored by the two centre-backs? I mean, Lindelof credited with the assist for Maguire's goal, which was a, just a brilliant strike. And he needed it. I think he needed a boost. And like you said, whatever happens in a game against the likes of Tranmere, everything's going to come with a massive caveat that it was against Tranmere. It wasn't against Premier League opposition. But at the end of the day, I think this United side, especially coming off the back of, as we'll discuss in a, in a bit, a just truly woeful performance against Burnley, we needed that picking up regardless of who it was against. And I think Maguire was one of those more than most who really needed a good performance. And I hope that will sort of steady him now as, as we move forward into the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, his goal was was one of those shocking ones. It was like when Vincent Company scored that absolute screamer for, yeah. for City at Leicester to help them win the league. It was just one of those ones where you you saw him pull back to, to shoot. And it's, it's not even that you expected it to go over like it if it was Marcus Rojo with another one of his 40-yard efforts that go into into the top of the Stretford end. But you just haven't seen Maguire shoot from there at any point <laughs> this season and, and probably rightly so. This time he, he he was given space, really, really good strike. And then, but I think most importantly, it was, it was given space. It, it's clear how much quality Maguire can give to the game. And it's a shame that we haven't seen that 
uh, level of performance in other fixtures because obviously this was a, a far lower level of opposition and he just helped to dictate the tempo and, and create chances for United in, in a way we haven't seen before and I think that was helped by the fact he was the third centre-back and because Tranmere weren't playing very well it gave him a bit of freedom to go forward and, and allow Lindelof and Jones to defend while he kind of helps he was playing at number 10 at some points just sitting around the the, the, the edge of the area while United were 3 or 4 nil up and well, yeah, you carrying him, on the pressure I think it was for Lingard's goal and he, he brings the ball forward plays a nice little ball into Lingard but unlike what centre-back normally does we sort of retreat and and just yeah, wait for the ball to be recycled he there. carries on his run he's doing a, doing an overlap yeah and I, I guess he he must have been told he was allowed to do that or he, as a captain he just thought well we're not under threat of, of conceding here so let, let me just do it and that was the right thing um, it would be great to see him have that kind of impact in, in a Premier League game another FA Cup game a Europa League game whatever and perhaps next time Solskjaer starts with a, a three-man defence against uh, one of the lower uh, lower place sides in the Premier League perhaps that will be why to give Maguire a bit of freedom particularly when United have so many injuries in midfield if Maguire can contribute that yeah. kind of performance from defence it, it, it will genuinely help United a lot just to, to carry up the, the pace of the game which is what he really did every time he got on the ball it was either a quick pass out or he just dribbled himself with it and that, that I mean, and, and failing massive. that it could be Phil Jones reprising his midfield role <laughs> from circa from the Burnabout 2013 yeah <laughs> yeah no, it was a it was a very good performance by by Maguire, and like I said, he needed it more than most. But it wasn't just him, to be fair. You know, I think the performance wasn't it wasn't incredible. I don't think we completely tore Tramir apart from from start to finish. But that's not the kind of side that we are. Unfortunately, we're not the kind of team that's going to go to any opponent and and completely you know be ripping them open every minute. But I think what it was what was really positive about it was a it was very clinical. Anytime we had a few opportunities, we took them, which was very good because we haven't seen that much this season. But it was also just very controlled. It was controlled without being timid. And I think we've seen in so many games this season against teams that drop off and play a low block against us that we find it difficult to both keep possession and actually penetrate at all. And even though we weren't exactly ripping Tranmere open every every minute, we were getting people in behind. Our movement was a lot better. I think that is the biggest positive for me because so often when you watch us playing against deep blocks like against Burnley in midweek, it's so static. There's no movement in the front line at all and there was against Tranmere. And, you know, yes, you can sit here and say, oh, it was only Tranmere. It's not going to be the same every week. That is true. But things like the movement of players are the kind of things that can actually carry over from week to week. So hopefully that can carry on. But, I mean, our inconsistency so far this season doesn't give me much hope (laughs) that we will see much of an improvement in the well, long yeah. term. And and we have to we have to be fair and say, well, this was a Tranmere side who A are I think twenty first in League One. They're not a very good team in 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 any case. But not only that, they played their FA Cup replay three or four days before this game, seventy two hours before or something. They were they were clearly tired and they also went for it and just left a huge amount of space open for United. It was it was the kind of defending from Tranmere and, and attacking that you just thought you're going to get absolutely battered here as soon as the first goal went in and they started really well but once yeah. Maguire got that first goal it was clear United were going to find more and, and you weren't surprised when, when they kept going in it was just lovely to watch it was a really nice day out and I, I, I don't think that can be undervalued in, in, a, in a tricky time for United in, in a bad spell to just have that that day where you score six goals in the FA Cup, it doesn't matter who the opposition is. It could have been North Ferriby or, or someone AFC filed or anyone. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't really matter. It was just a nice day to have. Um, we won't talk too much more about it, but Diogo Dallo, 
um, started right back. He's had a tough time on the sidelines. The, the manager who brought him to United, Mourinho, has left the club. Solskjaer's paid 50 million for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So it's not been a, a, an easy season for him, but he started at Tranmere and, and did well. And it's a reminder that, again, it's Tranmere, but it's a reminder that he's a very different option to Wan-Bissaka. It doesn't show us too much about how good he is, but it's a, a little reminder for us as fans and for Oligan and Solskjaer that Diogo Dallo is, is a very different right back to Wambasaka. He's much more attacking minded. He's, he's probably better in attack as well. And now he's back from injury, we might see Wambasaka start to rotate more out of certain games. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, you know, obviously Wambasaka yeah. with the big price tag was always likely to come in and be the starter. But I don't think him having a few games off and being rotated with Dallo is a bad thing at all. I mean, Dallo isn't amazing as a defensive right back, but going forward, he definitely at this stage of his career, offers more and more consistently than Wan-Bissaka does. That's not to say that I think Darlow should be starting every week, but I think you know it's easy to forget that Wan-Bissaka is still only young. He needs more time to develop, and he will, and he will get better as he gets more experience. And I, I think for now, having those two options is, is not a bad thing. And potentially, especially against teams that probably will play against us and, and sit in these sort of deep blocks and, and say, you know, come and then break us down, having Darlow over Wan-Bissaka might actually be an advantage because... With all the best will in the world to Wan-Bissaka, who has actually, I think, got a lot better this season, especially in the last few months going forward. Darlow, at this stage in their careers, I think d- does still offer a little bit more. Yeah, and it's, it's a nice option to have for United and one that's really needed as well. And you've got Ethan Laird, who's the, the right back for the under-23s, who's another really attacking one. And it, it's so good that he was the reason that Brandon Williams converted from a, a right-footed right-back to a right-footed left-back because there was just... United's coaches thought there was no way he was going to get enough game time if he if he tried to compete with Ethan Laird. So I, I was surprised he, he wasn't actually involved in the squad. Yeah. But United have three good young options there. Um, and that's certainly not the, the area where we have to focus our, our criticism on. Um, and yeah, as you say earlier, confidence boost for all involved. Lingard scoring first time in 13 months. And he the fact he's starting for United as much as he is um, shows you how, how weak the squad is. But... He is starting, so it's good that he got this confidence boost. Is basically the point. Now the 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 protests against the Glazers, Edward would continue despite winning six nil. Sections of the United's away end stayed in their seats after the final whistle. Actually, to continue singing, we want Glazer out. It was all throughout the game. It was particularly there was about a five ten minute spell in the first half where it was it was incessant. I think when United were three nil up um, on rotation throughout the match, and and this is the most sustained spell of any kind of sentiment being voiced loudly for, for some time and it's not going to stop anytime soon. Now, the this was probably louder than it has been at, at any point against Burnley midweek. Let, we'll talk more about the actual protests and what need to be done or what should be done in a second. But Burnley, before we do that, Burnley was, that was one of the lowest, I, I think I tweeted this, one of the lowest ebbs in, in a six-year nightmare for Manchester United and, and the stadium was almost empty at, at full time and, they hadn't won since 1962 at Old Trafford. They now have. It was just, it It felt like there was no hope at Old Trafford in that game. I was watching the game and I think, you know, there's been so many poor moments in the last six years or so. So many games that Manchester United just should never have been losing, should never really have, have even been a contest. And yet we find a way to lose. And so in that sense, I guess the Burnley game isn't so much different to a lot of the others. I think what made it so much different is just the hopelessness that was around it. And also the fact that this wasn't the type of game where we had, you know, you remember in in, uh, the season Ibrahimovic was at United when there were countless games where we had chance after chance after chance and we just simply couldn't take one. And that was the reason why we didn't win the game. 
The Burnley game was nothing like that at all. We did not create a single chance that you would say we 100% should have been taking. It took until the 90th minute for us to get anything that looked like Mike scoring. And even then there was an obvious foul by Shaw in the build-up. And it was the combination of the completely lacklustre performance on the pitch and then the very vocal discontent from the Old Trafford crowd, which is completely, completely valid in my opinion. I mean, anyone watching that game should have been absolutely disgusted. And, and from the, the looks of things on Twitter and at the ground, absolutely were disgusted watching that because it, it's just yeah. an unacceptable level of, of performance. There's no two ways yeah, about and, it. And the, it was a poor performance from the players and it, it was a, a result of underperforming coaches and executives, whoever you want to say, but the, the actual just game plan was was pretty poor as well. And and the Burnley do the same thing as they have done for the last four or five years at Old Trafford, which was just wait to be fouled in in the half that they're attacking in, um, take the free kick and, and score from a set piece. And that's exactly what they did at the end of the first half is they, they got the foul just inside the halfway line, put everyone on the edge of the box and then Ben Mee heads it on and Chris Wood volleys home and Maguire leaves Chris Wood to go. Um, I don't think Matic did his job well enough either and, and there were so many mistakes in just that goal and, and United hadn't played so badly in the first half. Uh, if they'd gone on to score one in, in the second and win it, then you would have looked back at the first half and thought, well, they were just, like it wasn't great, but they were coming into the game eventually. Burnley score that and, and football is fickle and it, and it all changes and, Poor game plan, poor performance, um, and and it, it stems from kind of the fact that everyone at Manchester United is underperforming, and that I think that was the ninth time we've conceded from a set piece this season. You just think that's an issue United could do without, given how many there are. So someone, either a new coach needs to come in, or someone needs to sort it out. Well, we spoke about this in the Liverpool game about you know who who is to blame for this. We spoke about it during the Liverpool game for Van Dijk's goal. I mean, who is responsible for this? If it's you almost don't know whether to feel sorry for Solskjaer or, or think this is another sign that he's way in way over his head. But whatever it is, someone in there needs to be taking charge of that. And because most of the goals we've conceded from set pieces haven't been sort of lucky ricochets and things. It's been poor organisation. The fact we aren't we aren't ready, we aren't able to deal with a lot of the stuff that's been thrown at us. I think that what was the most worrying for me, and we've just talked about how the players most definitely haven't given up on Solskjaer, and they definitely haven't. But I think... The Burnley game, I was probably up there with the Everton 4-0 defeat at the end of last season as the closest evidence we've had so far of the players getting to that point. And I, I don't think they ever did give up on Solskjaer, but there was no reaction at all at any point during that game. You know, there was no one on the on the, on the the pitch rallying their teammates. There was no one after each goal went in looking absolutely livid. It was just players looking lost for ideas, I think is the only way I can describe it. They looked completely hopeless. And it was almost, especially once the second goal went in, and, you know, yeah, of, of course, football is often a game of, of unexpected challenges and, and people pulling out miraculous miraculous pieces of skill or, or mistakes haunting you, whatever. But as a professional footballer, you have to, you learn to deal with that and you have to have a better response to that adversity than we did. And it's happened time and again this season where, you know, we've actually come back in quite a few of these games, but so often you look around, there's no leadership on the pitch. And we I hope that Maguire will offer us that a little bit now that he's been made captain, but you just you struggle to see where that leadership is coming from in this team. And I think we really, really lacked that at Burnley. And unfortunately, I don't think that is the strongest part of Solskjaer's management either. Yeah, and I was I was doing the United We Stand podcast as well after after the Burnley game and um, we were having a chat on there and I said, well, are there any Manchester United players you wouldn't be, you'd be against replacing? 
and we thought Marcus Rashford is the obvious one. Harry Maguire, you're not going to replace yet. Um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, new signing. But in terms of the starting lineup, even David De Gea now is is a lot of United fans would say if there was a better option out there, then he's someone you'd think about replacing. And the fact that there can be a better option shows how he's declined, even if not that much, but how he has declined um, as other people have got better over the last few years. So th- there is there is such this that the team United put out against Burnley for for all the mismanagement that Solskjaer. Uh, the, the the wrong game plan in that game and the set pieces etc the team just wasn't good enough I mean th- that team was was really mid table in terms of how of who United could start and yes there's been injuries but it, this is that United brought on Luke Shaw and Jesse Lingard at this point Lingard hadn't scored for thirteen months or made an assist to try to try and turn the game around that tells you everything you need to know it was a, a really terrible night and one that for a lot of people was the the result, yes, a bad game plan, but the result of, of consistent misdirected investment. And that's why people were standing up um, if you hate Glazer. And th- there's there's so much wrong well, with it. I think just just going back to the, the subs quickly, <clears throat> obviously, you know, you think to the substitutes we bring on probably shouldn't be the biggest story from a game. But it reminded me a little bit of, of the Nick Powell fiasco against Wolfsburg when, you know, I guess Jesse Lingard isn't quite as bad as that, but it it comes to a point where you just think, how have we got to this stage where when we're trying to get back into a game that we had no business losing in the first place, we're resorting to bringing on a left-back who has, hasn't really developed in the five years that he's been at the club and uh, a now, what is he, 27-year-old number 10 who hasn't scored or assisted a goal in the league in over a year and really isn't is never good enough to be playing for us in the first place, I don't think, at the moment. And and it just makes you you think, how have we ended up in such a dire situation? I think that's kind of what we felt in that whole Nick Powell situation against Wolfsburg a few years ago as well. Yeah, it is. And it, the fact that it's not quite at the level of Nick Powell, but bringing those two on, I, I understand why he did it. Because Brandon Williams, because he's a right-footed left-back, kept cutting inside and, and just didn't have enough space to, to really do something. United needed to st- spread the, the pritch a bit more and, and bring on a left-footed left-back kind of made sense it didn't it didn't go completely to plan at all but it did have some kind of an impact as, as United came back into the game Lingard as well just to put some pressure on, on them and give some energy to the game and I understand why he brought them off the bench but you just think why why have we got to this stage and we and we know why it's because the people in charge of the recruitment of United we said this so often so we're not going to talk about it for too long uh, are not good enough to do the job and Josh Helliwell has asked so it's a quick question for the pod. Should we do a fan protest at Old Trafford to try and get change? And he says, we'll read out a few of his thoughts. He says, if they sack Ole and put the blame on him, this cycle will never end. The board looking competent um, to build a, sog- a squad, whether it's signing or selling players with no replacements. And they want to make an inexperienced manager make the team play like a top side. Basically along those those lines and, and saying things that I think a lot of us would agree with. But that the main question is, should we do a fan protest? And I think... Yes, a protest would would clearly be a good thing. Um, the 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 plans, or it came from one tweet, but the plans that the media apparently seem to think are definitely going to happen, but I don't think will happen at all, is that people will walk out on the fifty eighth minute of the the game against Wolves. That is the the closest game to the anniversary of of the Munich air disaster. So that would clearly not be a good thing. It's disrespectful, and but United are 
I think if United fans are going to protest about this, we're not in such dire straits. As much anger as I have to the way that the club is being run, United aren't in such dire straits. We're not about to, to the club's not going to become extinct in the next few weeks. So a protest doesn't need to be immediate. It's better that it's it's well planned, well thought out. It doesn't disrespect anyone. It doesn't focus on on killing anyone because it's it's going to get negative reaction and it presents some kind of solution. It, it, there needs to be an end goal as well. You can't protest. You can protest just against something, but by presenting a solution. So when does the protest stop? When when Woodward goes, when the Glazers go, when a director of football is appointed, when a player is signed, when Solskjaer goes... People need to think about these questions and and try and come up with an idea that still supports the team and the manager while protesting against this in a way that isn't going to negatively impact the situation. And I mean... Organising a protest is, is no small thing. And I think it's maybe been a, a little bit, yeah. um, not, not from a lot of United fans, to be fair, but mainly from the media. It's been a little bit undersold, I think, how much preparation needs to go into that to make sure that, as you said, there is a focused protest. It is having some goals in mind and it's about the actual grievances that we have as a club and not just against you know the players and Solskjaer, who I think a lot of people although have anger towards them and maybe think they are sort of the symptoms of what's going wrong at the club probably aren't the root cause of everything. I think it also needs to be done in a way that's sustainable. It can be done in, in a long term. Yes, you know, people walking out, whether it's against Wolves or not, it does send a message. But if it's just one game, the Glazers and Woodward, they'll get over that. You know, it, it needs to be something that's sustainable and long term, but doesn't involve walking out every game because... As great as that might sound, it's just not its not feasible to happen over a long term. And it also does affect the players. I remember when it happened at Liverpool a couple of years ago and they ended up, uh, I think they were winning 2-0 at the time and ended up drawing 2-all, conceding to, uh, a couple of goals in the last 10 minutes. And Jurgen Klopp said after the game that the yeah. fans walking out actually really had an impact on the team. I think, it ne- and I don't know what the solution is here. You know, I'm, I'm saying all this and I, I, I honestly don't know what, sort of protest would be able to do something but I think the idea of a fan protest does work I don't like the idea of doing it in the 58th minute against Wolves there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter about uh, you know people trying to get that stopped I don't know how far forward the plans actually were but I'd I'd now be very surprised if that does happen and it needs to get the balance of being something bigger and more impactful than just the green and yellow scarves that have obviously been waving at Old Trafford for what over a decade at this point I think and but also something more long term and sustainable than just a one game walkout. Again, I don't I don't know exactly what that answer is, uh, but I would be in support of a fan protest if it was done in a way that I think could actually have an impact and had sort of some clear goals attached to it. I just uh, my main point is that rushing something half hearted, which is what much of United's fans' protest against Glazers has been, is is half hearted, not well organised enough, and and done by people who who haven't just thought about it enough and that's not to say that they were wrong for trying to, to voice their opinions as they're, they're not it's just if we're going to do something and it's going to have any impact it's got to be well planned yeah. and, and English football fans are, are traditionally just terrible at this <laughs> and the one campaign that's worked over the last few years is the, the 20s plenty although it actually ended up with ticket prices being capped at £30 not 20 but that was well organised between a number of, of, of football federation fan federations and, and various supporters trusts and it worked well but English football fans have to look to somewhere like the German Bundesliga where fans protest against things and it, and it has an impact. Uh, I think there was there was a, a couple of years ago, even last year, when 
I can't remember which which team's fans it was, maybe Hertha Berlin threw tennis balls onto the pitch and, and delayed the start of a game. That's not, that, that that could be some kind of option if, if United did it perhaps it would be everyone turning up wearing Eric Cantona mask and, and throwing toilet paper and, and flares on the pitch whatever you want to do there's there's got to be some kind of creativity in all of that um, we we should move on and it's on. got to be Go something on. as well that is it's symbolic and won't because a part of this as well is it's about getting the media on side as, as much as the club's owners because it might seem silly but the, I yeah. think the club really does respond to the media and it does respond to the sort of popular outlook on on united whether that's good or bad and so if you start if you start doing you know throwing flares at players or throwing bottles onto the pitch or whatever it might look great but if as soon as it injures a player suddenly the media is against you and there's a backlash and i think that that seriously does come into the club's thinking it's all you know part of our hatred and dislike of, of the glazers and woodward is that they've turned man united into a pr machine and as as much as we hate that, I think we have to recognise that that actually is one of the main things that they take as one of their cues of how to run the club. It's how they're viewed in the media. And I think any protest that could potentially create any sort of backlash from the media would potentially end up being backfiring on us. Yeah. Um, right. Just before we go on to the youth load and women's roundup, I should say... Um, thank you to Stephen who came and purchased the United We Stand for me while I was I was selling them at the at the Burnley game and then happened to to recognise us and say he enjoyed the podcast. So I hope you're still enjoying the podcast and you enjoyed the game at the weekend. But on to Manchester United's youth teams. It was a, a good week for them, progressing to the FA Youth Cup fifth round with a, a comfortable 2-0 win against Norwich City at Carroll Road. Goals came from Charlie McCann, who slotted home a penalty, and Ted and Mengi, the captain, who headed home from a corner. Really Good performance from United and the scoreline was was completely justified. If if not, there should have been more. Um, Hannibal Medjbury put on a, a show from midfield. He's just turned seventeen. He he was operating in in a free role across the pitch and and excelled in that that position. Just kind of floating about the the pitch and having a, a massive influence on the game. United now play Leeds at home in the fifth round of the FA Youth Cup. That should be a great game. I think it'll be in the first or second week of February. In youth transfer news, United continue to, to target players in their mid-teens. In recent years, we've signed someone like Hannibal Medjbury, Dylan Hugover from Ajax, Matteo Mejia from uh, from Spain, as so was Arnaud Puigmal, who came from Espanyol. Tease Chong is another one, Lucas Beja, Noam Emran, Ali Utreo, there's, there's been loads of them. Now, Sky are reporting that United are willing to pay £30 million for for Jude Ellingham, the 16-year-old from Birmingham, but also it looks like United might be the club who can manage to sign Sunderland 16-year-old defender Logan Pye, who's been of interest to Arsenal City and a couple of others as well. We'll see if that if that deal goes through and, and no other club beats United to it. In loan news, Dean Henderson saved a penalty at Manchester City in midweek, denying Gabriel Jesus from the spot. Sheffield United did go on to lose the game 1-0. That sparked more calls for Henderson to challenge Jordan Pickford for the England number one spot. Keeping in the goalkeeping department, Joel Pereira started for Hearts in a massive 2-1 win against Rangers. Jake Carney kept a second consecutive clean sheet for Stocksbridge. Kieran O'Hara played in a 1-1 draw for Burton Albion against Accrington Stanley. Um, Chris Smalling started for Roma this weekend, as always, in a 1-1 draw with Lazio um, in the, the, the capital derby. Alexis Sanchez only made the bench for Inter. It's not going great there and played just five minutes as he came off. Max Taylor played for almost an hour for Stallybridge Celtic. And George Tanner swapped clubs, returning from Morecambe from loan, only to go straight back out on loan from United to Salford City. Um, Casey Stoney's women's side had a, a really tough FA Cup tie, losing 3-2 to Man City. Lauren James, the 18-year-old, came off the bench to get one back for United before City found a third. So they go through, but it was a, a really good game at Lee Sports Village on TV. And, and Lauren James, 
only 18, a really talented forward and, and a great goal from her for United. Um, let's stay on, on, on the subject of Manchester Derby's Jack. <laughs> United play City on Wednesday night at the Etihad, the second leg of the, the League Cup semi-final. It, it feels as if we have no chance. We had no chance when we went to, to Paris, but this would be perhaps even more ridiculous, although maybe not quite as romantic as, <laughs> as winning at the Parc de Prance. But uh, I'm expecting nothing. We've got Rashford, Pogba, McTominay all out, but good confidence boosters ahead of this game. And if we get something early, there's a small chance we can we can turn it at least into a game. I think, yeah, it's, I mean, as you said, the, the chances of us actually pulling anything out here is is tough. I think the, the the thing that I'm most intrigued about and most apprehensive about in a lot of ways is because we're having to play from behind, you wonder how that might affect how we enter into the game and how Man City enter into the game. You know, City usually aren't the sort of team that is likely to sit back and try and sit sit back, defend deep and hit us on the counter-attack. That isn't the way Pep Guardiola normally likes to do things. But you just wonder with this kind of lead whether they might be tempted to play a bit more of a defensive game and force us to sort of take the initiative and take the game to them, which then takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, we are at our best against big sides playing on the counter-attack. The first half an hour is going to be crucial. It's the first goal. If, I mean, if City get the first goal, it, it's, it's game over without a shadow of a doubt, really. <laughs> but I think if we can if we can get an early goal, you know, not all is well at Man City at the moment. We, you know, they, things, things yeah. are a lot rosier at Eastlands than they are at Old Trafford. But at the same time, you know, a lot of City fans are very angry with Pep Guardiola after he accused them of, of not showing enough support against Fulham and urged fans to actually show up to the Etihad this week. I think things aren't all rosy and if we can put some pressure on maybe get an early goal you never know what a little bit of toxic toxic atmosphere could do to a side and uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that's the key for us if we can get a goal before half time go into half time with a 1-0 lead on the night then who knows what could happen from there yeah I mean the one thing you know is that City aren't going to be complacent about this 3-1 might seem like a, a yeah. big win and it, it, 3-1 in a one-off game is obviously quite a comfortable scoreline but and they absolutely dominated us but as as we both say an early goal can can quickly turn things around um we haven't got much time left so we we should answer a couple of questions that have been sent in um mark dowd asks how do you explain the downturn of form of dan james he seems to have lost two meters of pace now we're likely to see him start a city um we haven't really spoken about team selection i think at the moment it kind of picks itself up for united in general it's just whether you go with a three-man or a two-man defense but dan james will probably start in this game has he lost a, a little bit of pace or is it just that he's not finding quite as much space and, and people are paying a bit more attention to him than, than they did at the start of the season? For me, it's, it's the latter. I don't think he's lost any pace. I agree his form has hit a rougher patch, but I think that's more to do with the fact that I think United in, in general have been a less potent attacking force. We've never been great this season, but even you know up until December, our counter-attacking was generally very good. He had chances in in most games even against smaller teams that where we could get on the counter-attack and show what he can do we he just hasn't really had those kind of opportunities recently and even though we have had some games where we've scored a lot of goals we've often been relying until the last few weeks on Marcus Rashford to score our goals we're relying on three of our defenders against against Tranmere to get our goals <laughs> I, I wouldn't worry too much I mean obviously we want to see Dan James firing on all, on all cylinders but I think we have to remember that the first few months when he was playing so well were a massive surprise and we shouldn't just assume that that's going to be the norm. You know, it's great to see that he has that kind of potential, but he, he's, what, 21 years old, maybe 22 now, I'm not sure. He's he's, he's still a young player. And not only is he young, but he's, he's relatively inexperienced, especially at this level. So I think we it's, we're going to have to be patient. We're going to have to accept that he's going to have these sort of ebbs and flows in form. 
I don't have any worries over the long term, but I think, you know, whereas he's, he's going to have to figure out a way, I think, to to adapt his game to matches where he might not be able to rely on his pace all the time. It's, it's easy against the likes of, you know, Chelsea on the opening day of the season, Man City, teams like that, who are going to be pushed up high against us and leave us a lot of space in behind. It's easy to just say, well, just well, get on the, your bike and run in behind, but you can't do that every week. I think the, the, the most disappointing performance for me was at Anfield, actually, because... I, I haven't been expecting him to do that much against smaller teams who sit back but at Anfield he had, he had quite a few chances to, to either play Martial in or, or get the cross away and, and the things that he was executing in, in those first few weeks just start coming off and that's because he's, he's played far too much this is a kid that had played five or six months of, of championship football before he signed for United and he's already played 31 yeah. I think 30 games for Manchester United now and and people were expecting yeah. him to play 15 over the course of the whole season so he's clearly been played too much and that and that's which is what it should have yeah, been yeah it should have been 15 20 yeah, games again, and, and a few starts is... yeah um one more question from Alex Sykes who says what more does Gomez have to do to get in the united squad does he have any future at the club now i think the thing with him is is he's got a couple of offers from um a couple of clubs around europe in england and around europe um united have obviously offered him a contract they want him to stay i i, I don't think Unlike Heath Chong, who who looks almost definitely like he's going to go to Syria to either Inter Milan or Juventus, if he stays, I'll be surprised because he's asking for I think thirty five thousand from United, and and they're not prepared to give that to him, and, and rightly so because he hasn't shown enough to be getting a a contract that big. I think unlike that, Gomez is is very much undecided in that he he could easily stay at United, he could easily sign that contract, or he could go um, and look for first team football elsewhere. Why he didn't start at Tranmere or play at Tranmere, I'm not entirely sure. I think Solskjaer was just so scared about another upset that he didn't play someone like Gomez, Garner or Led, all, all players who could and perhaps should have started that game or at least been involved. So I, I think it's I think it's United's form at the moment which is is stopping Solskjaer from starting Gomez, but I think he should have played a lot more than he should. So whether he's showing enough in training, we don't know. It seems weird, especially with the the, the terrible form that Jesse Lingard has shown for a lot of this season and then with the injuries to Paul Pogba that it seems like Angel Gomez would be a, a prime candidate to be coming in and getting some good minutes in the first team because it's a position of need. I don't really know why. The, the only thing I can I can w- wonder is that in some of the games where you'd expect Angel Gomez to play sort of the games against lower Premier League sides or in some of the cup games, maybe there are some wor- worries about his, his lack of size. But at the end of the day, I think you, you've got to deal with that and you've got to trust his talent because he is a very, very talented player. There are plenty of, of players that have come in and might be small in stature, but have leave a big impact on the game. And whenever he's come in, I mean, he's never never set the world alight, but he's not done anything wrong. He, he deserves yeah. a lot more opportunities. And, and part of the reason why he hasn't set the world alight is because pretty much every op- opportunity that he's had has been sort of 10, 15, 20 minute cameo performances rather than actually, you know, rather than actually anything substantial. So... I think it's uh, it's tough on, yeah. on Angel Gomez and I hope he gets some more opportunities for the rest of the season because it would be a massive I shame think, if he leaves without ever having a fair crack at the Yeah, win. I think he, he's he's one of those that you really have to give give some time to and, and both he and United have to be patient with each other, I think, because I, th- I think Jesse Lingard will, will tell Angel Gomez this and, and he's, he's one of those that will be speaking to Gomez because he does help out the younger players at United because he's one that's come through and, and he'll tell him that he has to be patient because of, of how tall he is and, and how thin he is. Um, and, and Lingard had that himself. He was told famously by Sir Alex Ferguson he wouldn't make it until he was 22 and, and, and that came true and, and injury delayed that even more but it came true. Um, 
So Gomez has to be patient in terms of the chances he gets, but United have got to give him give him more time. And, and before the end of the season, if he should be getting 10, 15 appearances by the time we, we get to the end of the season, whether that's at an FA Cup final yeah. or us finishing 10th in the Premier League, um, he's got to be playing a bit more. Well, and especially, especially with all the injuries we yeah. have in midfield, now seems like the prime opportunity He's also to get the kind inside. of player that United could really do with, which is is, is someone who, who genuinely creates things and is yep. much more inventive and, and has the technique to pull them off and keeps the ball well under pressure in, in deep blocks. So it's a shame he isn't playing more. He definitely should be. I think it, I, I wouldn't yet be too worried that he's not going to be at the club next season. I, I get the sense he's much more likely to stay than to each on, but we'll see because there's not much coming out United about that. Now Wolves um, comes after the City game. Obviously, how we approach this game and uh, as a fan highly depends on the City game. If we go on to beat City, which is 99.9% unlikely, then we'll be buzzing going into the Wolves game and expecting us to win. But uh, yet another game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. How, very quickly, how do United approach this one, Jack? Um... With a lot of caution, I think, and a, I mean, Wolves are always a funny scene. They always seem to perform against us without fail. And so I go into this I game. I mean, they didn't. They didn't in the cup. That, that's that's true. They, that's true. 180 minutes of really poor football. I think the basic question is: What do you go for? Two, Matt? Do you go for five at the back or four at the back? I'd go for five at the back. For me, I think, especially because of the way Wolves play, the, the trouble that Adama Traore can pose us. I think having that extra man who can come over the extra centre back who. If Adama Traore does get in any space in the down the channels, can come over and cover the left back, maybe double up on Traore. For me, that's the way we have to go. And I think it's important to do that for us because Wolves, the way they set up, with especially with Traore, who's the main threat, on the counter-attack, they are dangerous with Moutinho and Ruben Neves feeding the, the sort of some sublime passes into the front men. That's the danger. So I would go five at the back for me. I just Wolves are one of those teams I hate playing because I feel like they they're just a scrappy team with enough quality they can really punish you if you let them in, and and that's exactly yeah. the kind of performances that we put in for most of the season. It's when we have these sort of mistakes and it's basically about whether the the other team capitalizes on them. And Wolves are good enough and they will capitalize on them if we let them have it. Yeah, it's it's not a game that I, I go in with great confidence, but it's Saturday five thirty. It it will be a good atmosphere whether there is a, a protest or not. And I was going to say, that's the other thing. I think I'll go into the game a little bit anxious, regardless of yeah. the team that gets put out, regardless of what happens at City, just because I don't really know what's going to happen with the fans. It seems like most of the stuff about the protest in the 58th minute has come from a few isolated Twitter accounts and, and some reports in the media. Yeah. So I'm not convinced I don't there think will be a happen. mass protest, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I really don't think it will, there will be any kind of, of, of mass walkout at all. Um, Right, that is all we have time for on, on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you as always for listening and cheers to those of you who have got in touch throughout the week, shared the podcast on, on social media or left us a review on iTunes. Um, for us to, to carry on growing, we really need people to leave reviews on iTunes at the mercy of, of Apple as always. Um, anyway, for more from us on Twitter, find Jack at at UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. And you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 on the podcast at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. Thanks as always for listening. Have a great week. We'll see if we can replicate the Parc de France in East Manchester. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.